Happy Monday and happy March. I can't believe it's been two months already. This year is going by quickly. I am really excited about this episode. I do have a really great friend, Dan, from Michigan that I met through one of my conferences back in college. We're going to be talking about a few different things today, mostly about his career and about his experience growing up in Michigan as an Asian American. And then we're going to end this podcast talking about the recent news and the attacks on Asian Americans and obviously the hate that has been going on for Asians in the U.S. And it is a very sensitive topic and it's not the most elegant, but I did think this was a very important topic to address, especially with a lot of the news and sentiment right now. So let's get this started. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Best Regards, Brian. I'm super excited for this episode because I have my really great friend, Dan, from Michigan with me today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, Brian. Thanks for having me on. So as Brian said, my name is Dan. So I am from the Midwest, and some of you might be wondering, how did I meet this awesome person who is from Texas? Basically, networking event in Midland, Michigan, which is in the middle of nowhere for Dow Chemical. I just remember seeing another relatable face. I'm like, okay, you seem friendly. I'll talk to you. So a little bit about myself. I went to school actually pretty close to Midland, Michigan. I went to Central Michigan University in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and it's basically to the West by about another 30 minutes. My major was in purchasing and supply management, and I actually have two minors, one in information systems and the other one in biology. The flatter biology has a great backstory to it. Thanks, Dan. That's really interesting. I know you mentioned biology. So why don't you tell us about your current role and your job and why that there was this huge change from, you know, STEM to more of a business IT route? That's a really good question, Ryan. So my full-time job is basically at a high level, I'm a master data analyst where I am basically in control of my company's data for vendors, raw materials, finished goods, machine slash spare parts. And you may be wondering, what company do I work for? Well, I work for one of the leading plastic packaging companies, Amcor Rigid Packaging. And we basically are a converter or like a middleman for a lot of CPG companies. Due to NDAs, I can't name our customers but we're everywhere. Yeah, that's super cool. So I guess like, can you elaborate a little bit more on your experience in college and how you sort of ended up choosing your major and, you know, what kind of key experiences you had in college that influenced you to pursue this more technical route, if you will? Yeah, so another good point, and there's a whole lot of backstory to this, but basically this ties to growing up or developing your identity as an adult as you progress through life. So coming in as a freshman, you have no idea what's going on and you're sort of going on prior experience from what you've been told from family, peers, or from what you think would be a good career path for you. I graduated college in four and a half years, which is an interesting note because that's pretty normal now. But ironically, I was supposed to graduate college in three years if I were to continue my path um, in STEM with biology. However, after getting mentorship from friends, professors, and other groups of people that I've met in college, 
during my junior year of college, I completely switched my major from biology because I wanted to become a doctor or that's what I thought. And I completely switched it and moved to the business route to where I am today. So did you grow up thinking you were a doctor or was it more of like a family kind of pressure, if you will? And, and I think a lot of our listeners might be able to relate. There's this notion of pursuing high income, stable jobs, such as doctors, lawyers, etc. And so I'm just curious if there is any influence from your family for that decision. Oh, yeah, definitely. That was mainly a family choice. And I think in our culture or in Asian culture for some families face is very important. So how you are perceived by other people. As a result of that, we want to appear put together. We have the titles, etc., to make us look successful and be successful if you see where I'm going. But unfortunately, that wasn't my dream. Although I understood now that all they wanted was just the best for me and what they saw. And I respect that. And obviously, as a doctor, I'd be making a lot more money, but I'm a lot more happier now, regardless of pay and other external factors that aren't as important. Absolutely. And I agree. I think a lot of my messages have been around just like finding ways to bring happiness to your life, whether it's through the work you do, the people you surround yourself with are just daily mental exercises for yourself. And I think that's really important that you talked about, you know, figuring that part of yourself out in college. And that sort of just leads me to my next question. What was it like growing up in the Midwest? I know a lot of my friends here listening have primarily been in Texas. You know, I'm curious personally, what was it like growing up as an Asian American there? The positive, the negatives, you know, if you will. Yeah, so my childhood was typical for any, I guess, minority who grew up in an area where they are not predominant or like almost in the majority of the population. I was mainly one of maybe 10 or so Asian American kids in my school. We were basically like shiny Pokemon in a sea of like trainers. It was good and bad because a lot of times we didn't really notice that we were different ethnicities. We just hung out because we were related. It wasn't until like junior high or high school where he started picking up on like those bullying aspects. And that's where the ball started rolling for, okay, so I'm not really the same, but I technically am. So who am I? Like, where am I going with my life? Who am I? And it's kind of interesting because I think I would consider my family pretty Americanized. We didn't partake in a lot of Vietnamese community events. I don't know why. What tied me to my Vietnamese culture and slash Chinese culture was language, food, and my family trips to Toronto, California, etc., where there's a bigger population, where there's much better food and a whole lot of better things for an Asian American to experience like your cultural identity. Yeah, did you find it hard to express yourself growing up? Like in the sense of like, oh, I'm stuck between two cultures, one where my parents came from you know, overseas and one where I'm growing up in and having, you know, those kind of like role models to look up to. I mean, in the 2000s is really rare, right? We had Wong Fu, which I mentioned before, but I really didn't see a lot of representation. So I didn't really know how to express myself. I don't know if you felt like that, but that was sort of my experience growing up too. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. For me, in order to survive, I'm going to put it in a rough sense. I needed to 
blend cultures where I try to mesh with my Caucasian friends, but then still retain that bit of Asian American identity that I still had within myself. Although now looking back on it, I had to repress basically a lot of it because as a kid and back then, it was hard to explain a culture, especially to another like what 16 year old kid or like when I was growing up, it's tough to put concepts together. And the interesting thing is what snowballed my identity and college and fast forwarding that even quicker um, because I had to grow up and I sort of had to realize I needed to put together this puzzle as best as I can um, with whatever options were there. And it was tough not having a strong Asian American outside of family to look up to, whether it be in the media and business, etc. For me, music was where I actually had connection that, okay, I don't have to fit a mold. And back then, in the early 2000s, you had Asian American rappers on YouTube. I don't know if you were into that, but there were some OGs on YouTube that sort of cemented why I am who I am today. It just gave me that motivation to just try and be different and just try to follow your own path. That's really cool. And I actually, you know, now that you're talking about it, I think that's a really good point. I do forget that music, you know, YouTubers like musicians were around and there's a lot of really great people like David Choi and AJ Raphael. There are so many of them, but when you're growing up in that environment, you had to find someone that you can relate to because it sort of centers yourself. And mm -hmm. today, like my main music playlist is with Asian or Asian American artists, because like I said, it's that motivation or that image that I don't need to follow this cookie cutter path that has been told by family, by society, etc. I can be somewhat different. And I'll fast forward to college because do you know Eddie Huang from Fresh Out the Boat? Yes, I do. Okay, so I forgot what year he came, but I was a part of the Asian Cultural Organization at Central. And we had our month at the university where we'd host events, have speakers, etc. So one year, Eddie Huang was our guest speaker. And that was probably one of the big like transition moments because A, I met him because he's a really cool dude. I've always wanted to try his food in the NYC, but I heard it's actually not that good. Side note, but I remember I asked him a question about Asian American identity and balancing your personal life versus family expectations. And I can't remember what he told me, but I distinctly remember meeting him in that event because that really got the ball rolling in my head. Like I really need to start figuring out what is my purpose? Like, what am I doing with my life? Am I doing it for myself or am I doing it for someone else? Yeah, some deep thoughts. And I completely agree because I think it's not just Asian Americans, but it's all teenage and youth that have this immense problem, which is finding purpose in their lives and figuring out like what it is that they want to accomplish. Because we grew up in a time where technology was just emerging, social media was just emerging. But think about the kids growing up now, they're just surrounded by social media and by what they see as, oh, this is what I should be doing. And it's so hard to distinguish to your point, like what it is that I want, because you're constantly seeing what other people are doing and comparing yourself. And you're so easily more when you're at that kind of young age where it's like, oh, that's cool on TikTok or, you know, that's great on YouTube and I want to be just like that YouTuber. But it's those difficult questions that, you know, even now I'm still struggling with. And I'm sure like anyone listening is, is thinking the same thing. It's like, you know, what's the end game here? I mean, maybe there's not an end game, but figuring out like one step at a time, like, am I going down the right path or do I at least feel like I'm making a difference around my friends or around my family? And yeah, I mean, great, great points.
So for some of you who are listening might be wondering, how did I figure out my center? And to be honest, I haven't because I think we're all a little bit of a hot mess as we are trying to adult, especially for those who have graduated. But in college, for example, flipping my major from a STEM field to business was that first piece to the puzzle. Because at some point, and this can actually happen with your professional life, you can put in all the effort and try as hard as you can dedicate your sole effort into something, but the results aren't as fruitful as you want. And even though you could do it, you would just be average. And for me, that's not what I want to be, which is average, and which is why I flipped the script to where I am today. And I had to deal with internal conflict in the sense of I'm going from STEM, which is a very challenging field, and worrying about opinions of others, like you basically took the easy way out, or you know, you copped out your sellout. When in reality, they don't see that the blood, sweat, tears, and emotional and mental trauma that you would have to go through to go through that switch. And after doing that switch, I went into the business and everything changed. My effort, my work ethic, etc. from biology translated into a complete 360 in success for me. And I know GPA isn't as relevant, but I basically four-pointed every single semester after I switched from biology. So I was going from like B's and C's to literally just acing everything. Since I switched my major, I was technically in class with underclassmen because I was a year ahead of them. But I still remember to this day that I have haters because I ruined the curve on all the tests. Oh no, you're one of those guys. Okay. I'm sorry. So, but that's, that's what I mean though. Like, and this can even apply to even professional work life where if you know that the effort you're putting in isn't fruiting results, you probably should self-center and just take a break and ask yourself, is this right? And if you can't answer it, then reach out to your close friends, outside mentors, et cetera, because that's how I knew to take the risk of switching my major. My best friend who graduated that semester, he knew me since freshman year and basically saw my personality go from like jolly to this Eeyore type of character who was just moping around and doing that flip completely changed everything. Another example that isn't as serious and has a lot of context is being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's something that I used actually in the DAO event when we had to do presentations. And the reason I bring that up is because even in your professional career, you're going to have to take some risk and get out of your skin, which is scary because I think as humans, we are risk adverse and we sort of have this fear of failure or we don't want to like embarrass ourselves or mess up. And so on a lighthearted note, and I'll share this and I have to stop sharing it because people think I'm the sort of secret like rap officiant but my junior year, I decided to pursue rap. Like I wanted to be a rapper and that's because of growing up with Asian American rappers and I really wanted to see if I could do it. And the moral of the story is I challenged myself to see if I could even put together a song with my friends. And even though it didn't work out, it really told myself that if I put my mind to something, I can get a result. And from that result, whether it worked or not, I'm able to grow because I'm not as afraid to take on something new. If something makes me feel uncomfortable, I don't shy away from it as much. I may be thinking about the risks, but I know that from prior experience, like I've done this before and I'm ready for whatever task is at hand.
I love that. Thank you, Dan. Those are some really great points. I really do agree with that one point you just said about being uncomfortable with being comfortable. But really, it is true. If you put yourself out there and you take risks and you get used to that feeling of, oh, I feel lost. I don't feel comfortable in a situation where everything is really ambiguous. You grow a lot and you learn a lot. And that can be applied to your personal and professional life. And I think especially since you took that switch uh, in college to switch major. It really shows that you can succeed if you're passionate about something or if you sincerely enjoy learning about a topic or you enjoy the people you're with. You just excel so much more than learning a topic that you're not interested in. And all I'm just saying is that everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. Identify what you enjoy and the status, the wealth, and the success will follow if you follow that path of, oh, I enjoy doing this. I enjoy singing. I enjoy rapping. I enjoy studying sciences. Like everything will fall after. Just don't put yourself in a bubble and don't put yourself in a mold, I think is what we've been saying. And I appreciate you sharing those experiences, Dan. Just moving on, in terms of more of your professional and career experiences, Dan, what sort of led you to your current job? I know you switched majors and you went to a more MIS route, if you will, but why the particular role that you're in now? Yeah, that's a fun one as well. So I'm going to be honest, I struggled getting internships in college. Just to highlight quickly, my internships, I had two. So my first one was in manufacturing. And by the way, touching on the Midwest, I grew up around Detroit, Michigan. So it's very blue collar, a lot of manufacturing around here, OEM suppliers to the big three, etc. Of course, my first internship is at one of the big auto manufacturers. I worked in a stamping plant. And all I have to say is don't do it. If you ever work in automotive, don't do stamping. It's hot. And since those are summer internships, it gets like boiling in a stamping plant because of all the metal and all the heat. It's It was bad. So that was my first foray. And that taught me I never wanted to work in a manufacturing plant again for that type of environment. It was just not fun. But I love cars. So it was interesting and loosening that fact. And I learned how to work with individuals, especially that dynamic between the white collar individuals in the office for supply chain logistics versus the blue collar workers who are driving forklifts, picking materials after they come out of the stamping machines. So that was my first internship after I switched my major. The second one was interesting because this was tied to my company I'm working at right now, actually. And I got so lucky because I did not get this internship with my current company um, during that second summer until the very last week. And I remember that interview because I prepared for it very well the prior night and I had a lot of info about the company. And I drove out to Ann Arbor the next day and I interviewed. The thing I did very well because on the way home, I got a call right always like, hey, you're hired. And I'm like in the car screaming and fist bumping like a maniac. On a serious note, that sort of ingrained the positive reinforcement with my current company because I'm just going to assume they really like me. But that's how I ended up here basically was because of that first internship and I had a great time. And for those of you who are still in college, and I think this was said in a prior podcast with you, Ryan, but please choose a company if there's a good team, especially out of college. I, in my opinion, looking back at it, monetary value is important. But I think what's more important is you place yourself in an environment where you can learn or you have a team that allows you to just express who you are so you're not limited to a certain cookie cutter role or a certain position. 
Absolutely. I totally agree there. And in general, you succeed when you're in an environment that allows you to be yourself and allows you to take on risks that you wouldn't otherwise feel comfortable doing, right? If you were at a company where you couldn't be yourself and you couldn't be friends with the people you work with, you would be miserable and you wouldn't enjoy the work you were doing. And it would be it would be tough to stay motivated, honestly. And so I completely agree there. Now, I'm just sort of curious, why don't you talk through what a typical day or week looks like at your role and just sort of general, you know, advice for people looking to take roles similar to yours? Yeah, so a lot of it is managing data. I oversee basically all of my business units data. I create the information, approve changes and modifications, etc. I also do a lot of analysis because in the past, my company does M&A a lot to grow. So we have a lot of legacy data that isn't compliant. So what I've been doing in the last couple of years is really cleaning up the system and figuring out, okay, can we standardize information? Can we standardize analysis, automate information, etc.? And we're at this point where our data is almost spotless for the most part from what we can control feasibly. Beyond that, I also do a lot of training. So as a master data specialist, I have to train our stakeholders that interact with our systems. So that's a lot of fun, especially if they don't like your systems and they like the legacy systems that we took away from them. So conflict management is the second thing that you learn very quickly. Yeah, that sounds really interesting because I feel like early in your career, you don't get a lot of conflict. Okay, don't quote me on that. But in general, you're more sort of taking direction versus giving direction. So it's harder to have disputes, in my opinion, in that way where you don't understand what you're really doing yet and you're still in that learning phase. So there's nothing to dispute about. But I find it interesting, you know, you're thrown into this role and you have to get really savvy and understand the data and you're taking legacy data and converting it into the appropriate data, standardizing it, and then you're having to educate others about that said data. And I think that's tough. Educating others is probably the best way to make sure you learn something properly. I'm curious though, I know it's a little bit early in our careers and maybe you're just starting to think about it, but what do you think long-term is your goal? And, and you know, where do you see yourself going in like 10 years? Not to interview you or anything on the spot, but curious what you're thinking. So that's always a fun one, especially when that's a part of your talks with your boss, your career path. And so I guess for now, I think long-term data science is where I'm heading, which is actually not a bad field because that is a growing area, especially as data becomes more and more valuable as companies try to understand what they're working with and how can they make more profit, save more money, get more customers, etc. So that's most likely where I'm heading at this point. Right. And I totally agree there. You know, I think it's appropriate since currently there's a lot of news and a lot of discrimination against Asian Americans currently going on. We've been seeing, you know, older Asians being hurt and being killed. I think it's a really sensitive topic, but I did want to just talk about it briefly at the end of this podcast because I think it's important for everyone to just continue to learn and educate themselves and try to be empathetic and grow. I think there's just this lack of communication, understanding from all, you know, walks of life. And that is where we get all these negative feelings and hate and discrimination. So have you ever felt uncomfortable in the environment you're growing up in while in Michigan or share just some of your thoughts on what's going on currently? 
Yeah. So first off, talking about current events. Yes, it's scary because it's basically hitting home, not directly, but it's still someone who is within the greater community and it's unfortunate. And for my parents, they usually tend to not to worry about these events. But ever since COVID happened and the rising of these cases, now I always get constant reminders from my parents like, hey, you probably should watch your back. You're a young male who's Asian American. You may be a target. And that's sort of scary because my parents never really really tell me that stuff or never really brought it up. So that's just addressing the current events. And it's unfortunate. This is a really tough topic to talk about, but it's something that has always been a part of our lives one way or the other. And so for me, growing up in the Midwest, I feel lucky because I haven't noticed this as much in regards to discrimination and like being treated a certain way. Yes, in school, I got bullied with stereotypes, jokes, etc. But it was never to the point of violence or physical harm. Any cases I had were very minor. The only thing that happened to me regarding like a minor event was at college. So on campus, we have people that were handing out like books or something. And I still don't know why. But I think this guy or myself misinterpreted the question because he asked me where was I from? And I told him I'm from Ohio because I was born in Dayton. In Ohio. And he just looked at me like very confused, like one plus one did not equal two for some reason. And I'm like, and I just nodded my head and I walked away and I just kept it to myself like, oh, okay, well, that just happened. <laughs> So like I said, for me, I've been pretty lucky. And even with my older sister, we've been fortunate enough where we haven't had those experiences. But that might be because we have assimilated or we've used our privilege where we don't make ourselves stand out and we just sort of take the hits as they come. Yeah. So I I think a lot of it has to do with mental health and how, especially growing up from an East Asian culture, we grow up learning to be respectful to our elders and to others. And so I bring up this point because it can be misinterpreted, especially in a culture where people are very adamant about their freedom of speech, especially. And it feels hard to speak up about our issues because on a relative note, it is less. I don't want it to be a comparison game, but it seems like a lot of what's going on is like, hey, your troubles are less than mine. So you shouldn't even be speaking up. And it's tough because also we come from this background where, you know, our parents don't speak up and our parents don't acknowledge mental health. And that's the trouble of growing up Asian American. It's like you just deal with a lot and you suck it up. And there's just a lot of pressure, whether it's from your family or externally. And it's like you feel very belittled. And especially where media portrays us as a model minority, it's really hard to just feel like you can even like say. Yeah, it's it's tough. And one thing that I didn't mention earlier was at Central, I was actually a part of the scholarship cohort for multicultural students. There was a cohort of scholarship students who were from various backgrounds, who are minorities or from underrepresented groups. At the end of the day, the one thing is you don't know what someone is going through until you walk a mile in their shoes. Everyone goes through life in a different way, different perspective, and they all take hits in various forms. The other thing is, and this is a challenge to myself, is I think the issue is minds tend to try to quickly generalize and formalize a description or a, I guess, an image of a person. And for me, I think that's a challenge to overcome because it's sort of innate where our brains try to get to the quickest answer, when in reality, we need to think before we receive an action or do an action. 
Yeah, and in light of the recent events, I think it's really important that we acknowledge and recognize the difficulties that a lot of people are facing. And, you know, obviously it's been a tough 2020 and tough 2021, but I think it gives me a lot of hope now that we're moving from the pandemic, you know, slowly of vaccines that you know people are going to start being kinder and, 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 and more accepting. And I think that was the outcome we we're looking for in this new year. It's how do we bring more awareness to the struggles that different people are facing and come together as Americans and as a group of great people to overcome these said struggles. And Dan, I appreciate everything that you've been sharing so far and love to hear your thoughts. With the current events, this is really showing that there is work to be done and that we really need to acknowledge each other regardless of where we come from culturally, class-wise, etc. Because at the end of the day, I think this shows that we need to listen to others and we need to put our full support for those who are in need. Yeah. And that doesn't stop here. It's just a continuous cycle, if you will, where we're continuing to better ourselves by bettering those around us and helping those less privileged and less fortunate. And it all starts from acknowledgement. It all starts from an open heart. And I know it's tough. Everyone goes through their own struggles and are trying to live day by day. But if anything at all, if you can just remind yourself that there are those that are suffering more and that just to be thankful for what you have and finding those opportunities to help those less fortunate. And overall, we just need to lead by example and help those when we can. So I hope this was helpful and you guys enjoyed listening to Dan. I know I did. So once again, thank you, Dan, for joining us today. And best regards, Brian and Dan. 